Before we dive into our time in the Word this morning, let's go again to Christ in prayer. Father, we come this morning confessing that apart from your grace, apart from your working, apart from you sovereignly awakening us to the depth of our need, to the sufficiency of Christ, we would be a hopeless people. We confess, Lord, that we are quick to run after the things of God and neglect God Himself. So, Father, I pray that during this time, on this special Sunday, where we celebrate and rejoice in you over the goodness, yes, to this particular body, which you saw fit to begin some 115 years ago. But we, Lord, Lord, we know that that goodness is only rooted in the sovereign goodness that was put on display at the cross of Calvary. And so, Lord, it is my prayer that in these moments, as Lord, you know, my precious body hears me pray every Sunday. Lord, would you please graciously get me out of the way? Lord, I come confessing that there is nothing within me, this weak, feeble man, that could bring about any lasting, spiritual, significant change in anyone's heart this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move. We ask that you would speak through the power of your word. Father, we specifically ask that your will would be done. But, oh, Lord, may it be done for the purpose by which you call it to be. And that is, Father, not just that we would check it to see it happen or that it would come to pass. But, Lord, that it would come to pass so that the name of Jesus Christ would be hallowed. May we, as it's already been prayed, may we today... As your chosen bride, be a people who delight in, treasure, and love Jesus Christ more today than when we began. And so, Father, I ask that even in light of our gathering, in light of why we have come, would you remind us again that as much as we rejoice in your faithfulness to this body for 115 years, we do not come with the focus of this body. We ask, Lord, that right now the Lord of this body would be on display. We ask that Jesus Christ would magnify his glory to us, a needy people. And we ask it all in the name of of our Savior, Lord, and treasure, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. Well, I'm very honored uh, and see it as a great privilege to be asked to come speak to you this morning. 
What a grace it is to celebrate with you and worship the Lord together in light of the unmerited favor of Him seeing fit for this local body of believers to be formed 115 years ago today. It's hard for us to fathom that long ago. You may ask, what was going on in 1903? Well, here are a few interesting facts to help put us into that mindset and to paint the proper picture of what 1903 looked like. If you are a male here today and you are 25 years or older, you are already past middle age in 1903. The male was expected to live 49.1 years in 1903 and ladies, a little bit better, 52 years. If you're curious, the Tour de France bicycle race was organized in 1903. The first box of Crayola crayons sold for five cents. It contained eight colors, if you're curious, brown, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, and black. The Ford Motor Company, under Henry Ford, incorporated baked by electricity, in quotes, Triscuit crackers were introduced. And they're good, I like them, they're okay. Here's one of my favorites. John Pemberton, included coca leaves as an ingredient in his 1886 soft drink, Coca-Cola, but removed the cocaine from the soft drink in 1903. I think that was a wise decision. On October 9th, 1903, the New York Times predicted that building a flying machine would be possible in anywhere between one and 10 million years. Well, just a few months later, in December, on December 17th, 1903, Oval Wright piloted his first ran safely trip, and his brother ran at the wingtip. The first flight was a total of 120 feet obviously in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They did four flights that day. The final one was 852 feet and lasted for 59 seconds. And then after that flight, a huge wind gust came and destroyed the plane. <laughs> now, again, so just if you're wondering, um, the New York Times has um, had a long history of predicting things wrong at various times. But for our purpose today, on November 1st, which was the first Sunday of November in 1903, the Lord saw fit to form this little church here in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. So again, besides all of that, we ponder that the Lord was not only the Lord of 1903, but the Lord now, and then also, obviously, from eternity past. The Lord in His grace brought into existence this precious body of believers for the advancement of his glory. And that is why we are here today. In light of celebrating the Lord forming this church, I thought it would be a great day to remember that this nor any other true church was ever an afterthought 
of our Lord. Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church is interwoven into the Lord's grander purpose for his global church as a whole. Today, my hope is to help us see why the church of God is so important. To do this, we will be asking this question. When did the Lord come up with the idea of the church? Is it only an institution that the Lord decided to form and build at the end of Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 and before Matthew 1.1? And as we will see today, the clear answer to that question is no. The church of Jesus Christ, meaning the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood and existing to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9, was not plan B. The church was always plan A. Now, the reason I mention this is because there are large groups in various eschatological wings of the evangelical life that believe the church was an afterthought when things didn't quote-unquote work out with Israel. But as one properly reads and examines the Old Testament scriptures, it becomes clear that the Lord worked through his people, the nation of Israel, to bring about King Jesus, who would purchase, rescue, redeem, and save his people, the true Israel, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, making up the bride of Christ, the church. One could say that the entirety of the scriptures is a love story depicting a glorious groom on his rescue mission to purchase his bride. And this all for the glory of the groom and the current temporal and eternal joy of the bride in her groom. Beloved, the reason I say all of this is just to remind all of us that the church is no small deal, especially in the mind of our Lord. I don't say that as one who quote unquote works or makes my living in the church world. While the Lord has, yes, graciously called me to his service, the reason I say this is because I see in the scriptures the heart of God to purchase and sanctify his precious bride. One way I could say it and have said it among my people at Springs of Life is like this. As a husband, do you think I would find any joy or honor if you came to me and said, Shane, I really love you. I so enjoy hanging out with you, but I don't really care for your wife. Now, let's be honest. That conversation would probably be the other way around. But in this hypothetical, as a husband who cares desperately 
deep for my wife, Kim, if you said that to me, we would have an issue real quick. But why do we think it would be okay for us to say that to our Lord? The one who went to infinitely great lengths to redeem, rescue, and is continually to faithfully shepherd and sanctify his bride. Beloved, again, this is no small deal. The church of God, specifically speaking, universally as the church, God's people, bought and owned by God through his blood, was on the mind of God before the beginning of creation. Look with me, Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, you can look there, just listen. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, why in the world did I go to the first words of the scriptures to express the importance of the church? Well, the reason for this is because based on this verse and a few other passages, we will see in a few moments that God had the church, his chosen people in mind before he even said, let there be light. In my preparation for this message, I found the words of a wise brother named Daryl Harrison, very helpful. In a podcast he did, speaking on God's plan for the church, he said the following, the genesis of God's idea for the church began in Genesis 1-1. God had the church in mind when he created the heavens and the earth. For it is from the heaven to this earth that Christ would be sent to speak the gospel. We see this in John 6, 38, where it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, God had the church in mind before the foundation of the world, knowing that at the appointed time, he would send his son into the world to preach the gospel of salvation for the forgiveness of our sins. Now the reason I said at the appointed time is because of passages like Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, which states, but, and notice this language, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So again, the phrase, at the fullness of time, is used in this text. Conversely, listen to Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Harrison continues by saying, so again, the point is that God has had the church in mind literally from the beginning. Because in these two texts, Galatians and Romans, we see the language of when the fullness of time and at the right time. So God had to have had the church in mind before the foundation of the world. The church is not a New Testament idea. The church is a pre-existence idea, a pre-creation idea. Beloved, and when this 
fullness of time, and at the right time came, what did Christ proclaim? Well, Mark 1.15 says this. From the lips of Christ he said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, do, well what do we call those who have been brought by the sovereign mercy and grace of God to repent and believe the gospel. Clearly, that is the distinguishing mark of those in the church. So at the right time, or at the fullness of time, Christ was sent at the appointed and planned time before the foundation of the earth to fulfill his eternal purposes of drawing his people, the church, to himself by bringing them to repent and believe the gospel. You see, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is the foundational hope of all who are in Christ. Beloved, this is what we see when we look at our main text. Yes. All that I've said so far has been introduction. We will see the fact that it is those the Lord has brought to repent and believe, in other words, the church, that he had planned before the beginning to use to make known his amazing purposes of grace. Basically, as if said, the church, or as I've already said, the church is not plan B. And we will see this very clearly in Ephesians chapter 3. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 9 and going to verse 11. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, is where we will begin. Here Paul says, And to bring to light... For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So God was bringing to light this hidden mystery, this plan. Well, the question is, how? How is he going to bring it to light? We'll look at verse 10. So that... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The text says, so that through the church this would come about. The church exists. Every true church, be it Springs of Life Bible Church or Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church or Calvary Baptist Church or any church in Rocky Mount and across the country and across the globe exists to make known this mystery of God's plan of redemption once hidden but now on full display. And was this a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants plan of God that he had to scramble together? No. 
if you're wondering. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't you see that the Lord's plan was to always redeem his people to display this mystery. God was always planning on using his church. But please, don't make the mistake that Daryl Harrison also spoke on in that podcast I mentioned in reference just a few moments ago where he says the following. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Christ says emphatically, I will build my church. This text contains personal and possessive pronouns. The text says, I will build my church. Christ says he will build it. And the problem we are having far too often in our day is that we have confused the fact that God uses us with mistaking that God needs us. Beloved, the reason I mention that is as way of reminder, after spending all this time trying to convince you that the church was always the plan before the foundation of the world, the church was to display the eternal purposes that are being all put out into not only our eyes, but before the world of the worth of Jesus Christ. This was the plan. It was always the plan. But hear me. The church was never the point. Christ is the ultimate point of all things, especially the church. We see this in the verse right before Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. And actually, this is the very passage that Christ used to call me to preaching ministry years ago, probably in 2012, 2013, before the wrestled for a while, as I was at Calvary Baptist Church. I know exactly where I was when I was reading this. It was my office. Calvary Baptist Church as a youth pastor. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And in this we see that Paul declares the grace it was to be called into service of Christ. And he gives us the subject matter of all preaching. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. So again, Paul is amazed that he gets to herald and be a minister and, and one who proclaims this mystery of what God has done and he counts all the credit to the grace of God, period. And it's His working by His power. Verse 8, to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach. And then it says, 
to the Gentiles, without the primary audience to which Paul was called to preach. So here we have Paul saying that he was given this grace to preach. And then he's going to give us the subject matter of all preaching, or what should be at the core of every time God's word is open and it is heralded by one who is called to declare this. He said it was given to me, this, this grace to preach to the Gentiles, and here is the subject matter of all preaching, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Don't you see that it is at the core of all preaching we declare the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, His worth, His glory, His sufficiency, His value. In essence, in one short little summary, we preach Him. That is why we exist. I've used this illustration before and it was fitting. There's currently one sitting on the front pew, but could you imagine the ridiculousness if you, say you and your spouse, got tickets for some gentleman who was an amazing violinist. Say he was playing at the Mandy Hall in Raleigh over Deepak in Durham. And you wanted to go hear this amazing violinist. And he, he came out on stage and he performed for two hours just these amazing songs, just intricate and beautiful. And your heart was stirred to amazement. And at the end of the concert, when everyone knew it was time to stand up and applaud, how ridiculous would it be for that musician to come out in the middle of the stage and set the violin on the stand and have spotlights pointing down on the instrument and stand back and tell the audience, applaud the instrument. That's foolish. Because we know that it is never the grandeur, the glory, the ability of the instrument, but what stirs amazement, awe, wonder, is the might of the one in whose hands the instrument rests. Beloved, see, that's the reality of the church. For we do not come to proclaim the glory of the church. We come to proclaim the glory of her Lord in whom he holds her as an instrument to use as he sees fit for the grandeur and glory of his name. That's why we exist. That is the point of all churches. And I've said this before, I actually quoted it just a few minutes ago. The Lord has saved us, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possessions, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it is through this unsearchably rich Christ, we, as the eternally planned church, have our bold access to our treasured Lord. Look at verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 3. Let's just read it all together. Starting in verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery in for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Beloved, this is the mystery that we as the church exist to herald. We have bold access to our treasured Lord through Christ alone. There is no other way to come before Him. And in this, the Lord makes much of himself. Mount Hermon, this is why you exist, and by God's grace have existed for these 115 years. And why you will continue to exist for however long our Lord sees fit. But may I graciously and lovingly say, if you, as a body, stop existing for this purpose, may God in His grace shut your doors. I'll say that lightly. There's a prayer that I ask of my own church. If we forget and neglect for why we exist to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, may He shut it down. Because to do otherwise not only neglects what we've been called to do, but it minimizes the most worthy being in the universe, God Himself. So, as we close this morning, I simply ask two things. First, beloved, do you see the church was always plan A to point to the worth of her Savior, Jesus Christ. So may we, not just this Sunday, but every time you gather together, may you, by the mercy of God, rejoice at His grace to His bride who never deserved it. Second, in speaking of the importance of the church, I simply ask, are you a part of it? And by that, I don't mean the local body necessarily here at Mount Hermon or another local body, for there are far too many people who have their names and roles whose sadly name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I simply ask, have you, as Christ calls in Mark 1.15, repented and believed the gospel? Maybe you were dragged here by a relative. Hey, we get a meal in 115 years and it's anniversary don't, in this moment right now, you're realizing not only are you not a part of local church, that's because you've never come to repent and believe the gospel. You've never seen Jesus Christ in his perfect life as it is. He lived the perfect life you had no hope of living. And then, in shocking scandal, he who lived perfectly died the death you absolutely deserve to die. And then on the third day, 
He was raised to show that that life and death was sufficient for all who put their faith in Him. So again, today, if you have not seen the worthlessness of your sin and rebellion in light of the worthiness of Christ and the gospel, may I plead with you to turn from all that will never bring access with our Lord and bank fully on our unsearchably rich Christ. All for his glory and all for fuller joy of his bride, the church. Let's pray. Father, we confess how quick we are to drift. Not only in corporate life, but Lord, that corporate life is driven by our personal lives. We confess, Father, how easy it is for us to forget not only why we exist, but Lord, why in your grace you saved us. You saved us to speak both in word and deed the worth of our unsearchably rich Christ. To proclaim His excellencies. So Lord, I ask not only for this church, for my own church, and for every church that you have seen fit to form for this very purpose. I ask, Father, that in your grace you would constantly sustain and remind us of why we exist. And may we be a display of this eternal mystery that is declared in the fullness of time and put on display in the worth of Jesus Christ in whom we now have access and boldness with confidence through our faith in our unsearchably rich Lord. Father, I ask again that you in your mercy would stir us to amazement that you are the Lord who's not only the author and the finisher, but the one who will sovereignly continue to work all the time in between. Lord, we ask that as your people, you truly would use us as instruments in your hand to make much of the sufficient worth and value of your glorious